Hi everyone, this is Mike with episode 68 of Getting Everyone Moving, brought to you by Palms and Pines Parasports. And today I have Lori Alexander, who wrote this great book, which I read recently, called A Sporting Chance, how Ludwig Gutmann created the Paralympic Games. Hi, Lori. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So tell us, how, why did you write this book? I have been writing for kids for about 10 years, but mostly fiction. You know, my kids were young and we were constantly in the library and reading lots of, of those hard little board books and picture books. And so I just sort of got into it. I was a stay-at-home mom, but I had a master's degree that I was not using. I just wanted something for myself besides laundry and things. So <laughs> I had sold some, I had have an agent and we sold some picture books and board books. And then suddenly nonfiction kind of came onto the scene with the change in the common core curriculum for kids around 2009. So teachers were um, now required to use half um, nonfiction books, informational texts in their classroom. So half fiction, half nonfiction. So there's this drive to get more nonfiction out there, quality nonfiction that teachers could use in their classrooms. So I gave it a go and I had written a book and was looking for a second topic and it was an Olympic year and my family really enjoys watching the Paralympics. So the wheels just were turning and I just Googled, how did the Paralympics get started? And when I read that it was a doctor that got it all going, I'm like, oh, this was fascinating. And I digged into his story a little bit more. So that was the beginning of it. And it's such a fascinating story, Ludwig Goodman's story, and it combines so many things for teachers. They're always looking for books that can do double or triple duty. So it has you know, history, it has a bit of science and medicine about the nervous system, and it has sports. So a great hook for kid readers. And for adults as well. Yay. <laughs> um, how long does it take you to write a book or how long does it take you to write this book? It takes, I mean, it can take like a year to research thoroughly, you know, read everything that's out there and do interviews. And I read a lot of the journal articles that Ludwig had published in scientific journals, his work on the spine. I listened to audio recordings. I read interviews with his kids, just all sorts of things before I started writing. And then I do a few revisions and then my agent will read it and we'll revise. And then the editor has lots of revisions. So it's a pretty long process. And then after the book sells to a publisher, it still takes about two more years oh my God. before it hits the shelves. They, it takes time you know, to do those revisions, to find an illustrator, because this book has lots of historical photographs, but it also has full color illustrations. So they find an illustrator and give that artist time to do all the artwork and then the printing and the marketing. So. I felt very pleased with myself that I had timed it all out with this long lead time to come out right before the 2020 Paralympics. But now we all know that that, that did not happen. So hopefully, I don't know what the latest is. Fingers crossed for this yeah. summer. Yeah. 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 Hopefully. Do you, so do your children read your books? Are they old enough? Yeah, I started writing when they were little and I was writing picture books and, you know, they're not as interested in the words as much. They like the pictures. I am just an author. I'm not an illustrator. So when my books sell, the publisher finds an illustrator to match the yeah. tone of the text. So I don't have to even find an illustrator or anything. So when they were little, I would try to read them stories, but they want to see the pictures. 
Um, now that they're a little bit older though, yeah, I, I do run some stuff by them and ask what they think. And this was inspired by my daughter who was born with a condition called pseudoarthrosis. And we didn't realize she had it until she started walking around 14, 15 months and her leg broke. So it affects the long bones, usually in the legs, very rarely, but sometimes in the arms or clavicle. So from two years old till about sixth grade, she wore a long leg brace or a cast, depending if we were between surgeries. So it was so heartbreaking at such a young age to have something that you feel like you can't fix as a parent. And surgery is one course of treatment, but for a lot of kids that fracture doesn't heal. It like heals into something more like cartilage. So it still like had some bend to it. So there's rotting and there's bone grafts from their hip and places. So we tried all that, but a lot of kids, it just will never heal. And so an amputation is what they will do next. So thinking about that, when you have just like a 18 month old and wondering what their life is gonna be like, it was devastating, but we started watching the Paralympics and just seeing how strong those athletes are. It was amazing. It like lifted our spirits to see like all these people cheering and just like the determination and the talent. It made us feel a little bit better, like not knowing what our daughter's future would be just that no yeah. matter which way it worked out, she was going to be okay. Yeah. Does she play any sports? She interested? She did participate in some stuff through the school district that we had sort of for kids that had special needs and their siblings could play. And it was more like little relay races and riding on little um, adaptive bikes and stuff. And it was such a nice program for the siblings to be involved with and for parents to meet each other. But now she's more... I don't know if it's because her leg and she couldn't participate. She seems to be one of those kids that's more like artsy and into drama and yeah. crafts and stuff. So it's hard to know, like, would she have been into it a little bit more if she could have been? There weren't really any other programs available through the school district once she got older. So, but she's doing okay. Yeah, good. So let's switch back to the book. Obviously sure. there's a real personal connection. Um, what did you find, I mean, most kind of interesting about Dr. Gutman's life? And I mean, the work that he did was really, was so life-changing, obviously, you know, right now. I mean, what, what were the things that you learned? Um, yeah. I didn't realize like the dire statistics for people with paraplegia around the time of World War I, that like 80% died and they were just sort of, they were cast in a full body cast and just left in the hospital, like in a corner of the hospital. And, and that was it. And Ludwig was an orderly he, as like a teen. And he asked the doctor once the cast goes on, okay, what happens to this minor now? He was a, he remembered this one patient specifically that worked in a mine and had a spinal injury from working in a mine. His spine was crushed. And yeah, once they did, did some surgery and cast the person, they just left them. And I didn't realize that so many people died from like bed sores from their cast and bladder infection, like bacteria just spread through the body. And like six weeks later, that was it. So the fact that Ludwig turned those statistics around completely 
he did a study of his first 3000 patients and he had it, he almost had it reversed, like 20% passed away and 80% were living well beyond that first year that was so critical. So yeah, to make such a difference and have it be partly because of his personality, like such, he was such a commanding person that he wanted the nurses and the orderlies that worked under him to follow this specific routine, no ifs, ands, or buts. So he got the patients out of those casts. That was the number one thing okay. he wanted. And to prevent those bed sores, he had the nurses rotating the patients, turning them like on a schedule every you know 15 minutes or so, turning them side to side, front to back. So all those sores could heal. And then he just went from there. Then he got people up, sitting up. They used to just be left flat on their backs. Now they're sitting up and they slowly got them like into wheelchairs and then looking for things for people to do. A lot of his patients were young soldiers from World War II who you know, had active lives before they were injured in the war and they liked sports. So the fact that he caught them playing outside one day in their wheelchairs with upside down walking canes and a puck, he found them, you know, it's just kind of messing around. Like they needed something to do. And it never really dawned on him until he saw those folks playing outside on the hospital lawn. He had done little things like playing catch with like a weighted ball or like little, you know, throwing darts just to pass the time. But like that clicked with him, like that competitive sports could be added back into these patients' lives. Yeah, pretty, I mean, life-changing, um, you know, all the Paralympians, but anyone who does recreational adaptive sports, I think probably has Ludwig to, um, to thank. Right, and I love there was a scene where he hopped into a wheelchair to see how he could do against the patients out there. And he said that having legs was no help. Like he was not as good as the patients were at maneuvering and, um, they were, so they're sort of playing like a, a polo type game, swinging sticks. And I guess a few people were getting uh, a little bit too crashed up with the sticks flying and the wheelchairs and things. So that's when they started playing netball, which eventually morphed into the basketball. Right. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that's important for able-bodied community to actually participate, you know, uh, siblings participate. I mean, I coach wheelchair basketball and so I get into a chair and I'm not nearly as good, of course, as someone who, uh, you know, plays wheelchair basketball on a, on a regular basis. Um, so for, for your, we'll, we'll go back to your daughter again. So for your daughter, she's in, is she in sixth grade now then? She is a freshman in high school now. So okay. freshman in high school. Yep. Um, what, what have been, um, you know, some of the challenges for her and, and, and your family? Um, obviously the, I guess, frequent operations, but, but what else um, have you come up, come up against? So our kids just went to public school, our neighborhood school. We didn't do anything fancy, private or charter or anything. And I guess I was always worried that she was going to stand out and just not fit in, not find friends, wearing this big bulky cast that kind of slowed her down and, and things. And I, we found the opposite was true that, you know, for one thing, she wasn't the only kid that had something, you know, there was you know, there's other kids that in a wheelchair, there was a girl that had an amputation. There was kids that are wearing hearing aids and there's all kinds of things. So it seems like every kid has their thing that they have to deal with. 
And the kids were just so sweet. I just like, you think the worst about she's going to get bullied and things, but like, it seems like most kids are just curious. They want to know what, what is that on your leg and does it hurt? And so we kind of help prep her. Like kids are going to ask questions and you tell them, you know, what you want to tell them. And, and then you just move on and, and keep playing. Um, we were excited one time and she has the, uh, she has the, the plan, you know, where she can only do certain things. She has accommodations. She had to be the first one out of the classroom for a fire drill in case, you know, she needed more time or she could have a water bottle at her desk so she didn't have to get up and walk to the drinking fountain and little things like that. I think it was in second grade though when the kids have that um, system where they get they have like a clothespin and they clip up if their behavior is good into like a green zone and if their behavior is not so great that day they have to clip down into red and my daughter's a very good kid but one day she had to clip down into red and she was so upset and we asked what went wrong and she said she was running in the hallway <laughs> we thought that was the best thing I think I think we went out to dinner that night because we were so happy that she was running in the hall like I just felt like oh you're like all the other kids so that's great but um yeah it just over time I think wearing that big brace on her leg actually made her stronger and soon you know and trying to keep up with other kids actually helped like she was out there to the point where eventually she's doing the things on her plan that she's not supposed to be doing like swinging on the monkey bars and things like we had to just be really careful after all her surgeries that she didn't fracture that leg again so but kids you know they want to they want to do what their friends are doing so We just kind of assimilated and it just all worked better than I thought it would. Do you, do you feel that, you know, you and your husband, do you, do you treat her any differently than your other children at all? I mean. No, we have a net, we have a son. So she has an older brother. So yeah. the two of them, but no. And like, yeah. we were watching, a, I think the, one of the Harry Potter movies when he looks into the mirror and he could like, see like what his like deepest wish would be. And he wants to like see his parents again. And we asked our kids like, what would your deepest wish be? And I assume like that my daughter would say that her leg was fixed and she said she wanted a dog. <laughs> so, you know, I think like since she just grew up with it, yeah. it's just part of her and, and she's okay with it. And I'm more of like a, a quiet introvert type person. I don't like want anyone looking at me or to be the center of attention. And for some reason, she's more of like one of those kids that likes to be, likes to have the attention. So it never really bothered her too much yeah was she able to read uh your book a sporting chance yes and she loves to help like when I go to um, book fairs and school visits and things she's always my helper and talking to kids about reading and writing and things so yeah um you know inclusion is a really important issue Um, accessibility is a really important issue and We've made a lot of advances in the U.S., but you know, there's always more. Um, having a daughter, you know, with a disability. I mean, how do you think that we create more inclusion? I, you know, I, I think certainly your book uh, helps. You know, the more people that read it, uh, I think the better. But what are some of the things that you think we need to do as a society to create more inclusion? Yeah. I do think books are a great way to get to kids early to teach them about people that maybe don't look the same as them. They maybe grew up in a different 
type of family situation. There's a big we need diverse books campaign going on in the kid lit world. So we just want kids to see themselves in books and then also to see like how different people live. So there is not very many books that feature kids in wheelchairs or kids with different abilities. So I was so happy to be able to sell this book to the publisher and, and represent um, that aspect a little bit more. And I think when kids, yeah, when you start early and just the fact, like just going to the public school and seeing all different types of kids, I think it makes for a more well-rounded um, young adult then. So, it, it, you know, as, as we get out of COVID, um, do you go and do readings in schools, you know, in Tucson and other places? What, what I do, do, yeah. I do school visits and they're a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, nothing really this past year. We couldn't go in. Um, a little bit of stuff online, but kids are so burned out of Zoom. So hopefully next year. Um, but yeah, I love to talk to kids about the writing process and how books are made. I talk to the younger ones about the picture books and then the older ones, I'll do these nonfiction books, how I did my research, how to make sure, you know, what you're, what you're reading is actually true, you know, finding primary sources, not just Wikipedia or things that are posted online, how to make sure, you know, what you're writing about, finding the, the real facts and, and things and down to like how books are printed. Kids are fascinated. And then, you know, some kids always raise their hands that they like art or they want to write or write books someday. So I always tell them the number one thing to do to be a good writer is to be a good reader. So you really want to mm -hmm. encourage kids to keep reading. There's so many things that fight for their attention these days with yeah. the phones and the, the iPads and things. So yeah, just trying to keep them interested and asking them what they like to read. I like to have them recommend books to me so they can yeah. tell me what they like. So yeah, it's fun. And then, yeah, everything is sort of on hold, but there's lots of great book festivals and events at libraries. So I like to get out there as much as I can. Are you working on a new book now? I have written a couple more. I did another nonfiction one about Joseph Lister, the doctor who pioneered antiseptic septic surgery back in a time when hospitals were not the place that you wanted to go when you were, were yeah. injured. So that one's going to be, um, it'll probably come out in a couple more years, but it'll be, it's got a lot of those like gross details that kids love to read about that ew <laughs> factor of the way they used to do surgeries like before anesthesia. And it, it was, it's pretty nuts, but yeah, so it's forever changed. Joseph Lister forever changed hospitals in the way we heal today. And I wrote one about um, the woman who protected Joshua Tree, which is not too far from where you are, correct? Right. That's yeah, right. the conservationist Minerva Hamilton Hoyt. So that one will be coming out in a couple of years also. So how do, how do you choose your subjects, though? Why? Yeah, I... It's hard, actually. You want to find something very engaging that kids will want to read about, something that ties in with their school curriculum, but it also has to be something that hasn't been done yet, which is the trickiest part, I think. So I'm just always digging around, keeping my ears open for, you know, news stories, podcasts, things I hear on NPR. I don't know. There's lots of little, that's the number one question I get at school visits too. Like, where do you get your ideas? And so you just really have to like, 
keep those ears open. My first one was based on something my husband is a scientist mentioned at dinner one night about when microscopes were invented, pathology became much better. And I'm like, oh, who, who invented the microscope? And so I just like the wheels start turning. So yeah, so then you, you think you get a good idea. And the first thing I do is like go to Amazon or make sure that it hasn't been done yet or that you have some unique twist on it and some new perspective that hasn't been done yet. And when I looked up Ludwig Goodman, I'm like, I can't believe that nobody has written about this yet. It was such a great story. Yeah. So we're getting towards the end of our interview. Um, what are some final words that you'd like to leave our listening audience with? Uh, maybe about the Paralympics, about Ludwig Goodman, you know, your most recent book. Um, watch, cheer share, tell everyone about it. It's such a great event. It's um, just the work that these athletes put in. And I'm thinking about them all the time, wondering how I know they're on these like strict training schedules and how it all got pushed back and delayed and how they're keeping in shape. I'm so curious about how everyone is doing. Um, but yeah, read a, a sporting chance to see how it all started. You have a copy of it there? I have a copy Hold and the up. fact that it Hold started up. with just, um, there it is. It started with like 16 people on a hospital lawn. And now it's this huge event with like billions of TV watchers. And the fact that they told Ludwig that no one would watch it. They laughed at this idea and they thought it was ridiculous. And now it's like one of the top sporting events in the world. So I think that is so amazing. Thanks, Lori. Again, the book is A Sporting Chance. Check it out, uh, whether you're a child or an adult. It's a really good read, lots of good photos and pictures. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. It was fun.